You're listening to Flaunt, Find Your Sparkle and Create a Life You Love After Infidelity or Betrayal. Have you been betrayed by life, your body, or someone that you love? You're not alone. No matter what you've been through, Naked Self-Worth helps you regain confidence, joy, and enthusiasm so you can create a life you love and flourish. Tune in weekly and learn how. One of the hardest things about finding out that your partner has had an affair is the shame and embarrassment talking about it because it makes you feel like you did something wrong, that somehow you weren't good enough and that you didn't keep them happy. And there's such a misperception in the world around what affairs are like and what it means when somebody has had an affair. That's why I have created a monthly support group for women who have been betrayed by their partner. It's for women who are really ready to move through the grief and the pain in a healthful way so they can claim what's possible for them on the other side of infidelity and betrayal as quickly and as healthfully as possible. And part of that is having community, having community with people who were positive. There are so many online support groups where everybody's just really negative and grouchy and they just vent their own pain and they vomit their pain all over you. And this group is nothing like this. This group is honest. Yes, we're honest. But it's also about support and community and holding each other and building each other up. If this sounds like something that you would be interested in, go to www.flourishafterinfidelity and sign up. When you sign up, you'll immediately get the Zoom link to our next meeting, and then you will be in the loop and you will know when each monthly meeting is about to occur. I really look forward to having you there, to building this community of strong women together. Once again, it's www.flourishafterinfidelity.com, and we'll see you at our next meeting. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you been struggling lately? Relationship issues impact every area of your life. When I found out about my husband's infidelity, I was so devastated. I could barely function. Sleeping was impossible because I couldn't shut off my brain. Eating was a challenge because I felt nauseous all the time, and for the first month or so, everything felt pointless. Whether you're having trouble sleeping, feeling hopeless, or just can't focus, BetterHelp is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help. You can talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000-plus therapist network that gives you access to help that might not be available in your area. Just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you'll be matched with a therapist in under 24 hours. Then you can schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages, and everything you share is completely confidential. I know that confidentiality was important for me, especially early on when I couldn't even get my own mind wrapped around what was happening. And it was so comforting to be able to speak with someone candidly about everything I was going through to validate that what I was feeling and experiencing was completely normal. You can request a new therapist at no additional charge anytime. Join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Special offer to flaunt, create a life you love after 
infidelity, and betrayal listeners. You get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash flaunt. That's betterhelp.com slash flaunt, F-L-A-U-N-T. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. Hello, welcome to Flaunt. Find your sparkle and create a life you love after infidelity or betrayal. I'm Laura Cheadle, and we are going to take a deep dive into a book that answered so many questions for me. The book is called Chasing Masculinity, um, Men, Validation, and Infidelity. And it is written by um, Alicia Walker. She is an associate professor of sociology at Missouri State, and she is a micro sociologist, which means her work focuses on intimate sexual relationships, sexual identity, and behavior and gender. Now, specifically, her work looks at the social construction of the sexual self, the ways we make sense of ourselves as sexual beings, the way we navigate our sexual worlds and our lived experience as sexual beings. Now, Dr. Walker has particular interest in closeted sexual behavior. So let's talk about closeted sexual behavior and what that means. <laughs> if you're listening to sh- to this show, you, like me, are probably a victim of somebody's infidelity. And for the most part, unless it's an open relationship and you know something else is going on, infidelity is a closeted relationship. So with that, let's bring on Dr. Alicia Walker and get into her book. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Okay. I found your book randomly on Amazon. And I just- I know, which is amazing. And I read the back of this and it spoke to me so much. So I kind of want to start there and then we will go into your methodology okay. that you found. Okay. Using a sample collected from the online dating service, Ashley Madison, this book finds that contrary to gendered social scripts, the men in the study described motivations for outside partnerships that were not rooted in the desire for say, sexual pleasure or variety. Rather, men described those relationships as an outlet to soothe their bruised egos, receive attention and validation from a romantic partner, and to fight their feelings of emasculation. These infidelities thus provide support and praise and aid in the processing of complex emotions. Whoa, that was exactly what happened in my situation. And to find out that this was common made me go, we got to talk to her. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, great. Yeah. So let's start from the beginning. How did you become interested in doing what you're doing and why closeted sexual behavior? Um, I got interested in women's infidelity initially. I kept seeing these newspaper articles about various studies, some of them academic, some of them not. Um, They had these findings that sort of made me take a pause, you know, "Hmm, what's really going on there? And so I started with that objective. 
You know, I want to talk to women who are cheating and find out what's going on. And while I was recruiting, I had a number of men approach me and I thought, well, okay, you know, I'll talk to them too. I wasn't really sure if men would be really open talking to a woman about their sex lives, Um, but they were, and I got really good data. And so it's basically a situation of the more I learned, the more I wanted to learn. Um, And folks stories are, are fascinating. They're sad. They're surprising. They're kind of fascinating. It's just a really interesting and rich area of study. And every time I think, okay, I think I'm, I'm done. I'm I'm not, you know, I think of more things than I, than I want to know. Yeah, absolutely. So what was surprising to you when you started talking to, um, both men and women, like what, what is the disconnect between the Hollywood narrative of infidelity and what we think infidelity is about? And then what you were really hearing. It was just totally different. You know, we have this idea first off that everyone gets caught, right? That's kind of the idea that if you're cheating, it's going to come to light. It's going to be found out. And that is not what I found. Very few of the folks that I spoke with um, their spouses had found out or they, found, and a lot of them had kept in touch with me. Um, so even past the book, you know, they had okay. not been discovered. And then we have this whole idea that men are cheating solely for sex and that women are cheating, um, to feel desired and, and to get revenge and to fall in love and all these sorts of things. And that is not at all what any of my participants said. The women were very clear that they were basically outsourcing their sex lives. They were trying to get different sex or more sex or something of that nature. And the men, it was kind of funny. The first question I ask is, how did you come to, you know, go on Ashley Madison and have an affair? And so all of them at first said, oh, for sex. So I said, okay. But then from the very next sentence on, it, it really wasn't about that, which was really interesting. And they talked about how, you know, they they wanted women who made them feel good about themselves and made them feel masculine and wanted to hear about the mundane details of their day and were enthusiastic to see them and all of these sorts of things that I certainly had never heard any narrative to that effect. And so that was really, really interesting. So, so pretty much the whole study was just all these moments of like, Hmm, not what I expected. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that, and that's what I thought too, reading the book. I (laughs) I like how you use the term outsource, how you talk about women are outsourcing orgasm, basically their sexual. Yeah. Yeah. And variety and men are outsourcing the relation, the, like the relationship management. They're outsourcing yes. having their ego stroked. <laughs> and I, I'm not going to lie. My first thought when I read that was like, are you freaking kidding? How weak can you be men? You know, nine <laughs> out of 10 of you probably have a woman at home who, if you told them that, would would validate you. If you said, mm-hmm. I'm feeling emotionally neglected. Yeah. And I just found that interesting because- it goes back. I mean, my whole TEDx is on, you know, gender roles and stereotypes, but it mm-hmm. all goes back to the stereotype of the man has to be this big, strong, handles yes. everything, needs nothing, 
big boys don't cry. Men are not like that. No. And that was something that came up again and again. And that was, I think, the the saddest piece for me was realizing, um, yes, that would be the knee-jerk reaction, right? Like, what is wrong with you? Why don't you just say something? But all these men kept saying they they didn't feel like they had the autonomy to say, I'm sad. I need cheering up. I need whatever, whatever. They felt like they needed their wife to ask, how are you feeling? How are you doing? Are you upset? And at first it's kind of baffling, right? And so you think about the fact that we spend men's entire lives saying, you are not allowed to have these kinds of feelings. You're supposed to be strong. You're supposed to be stoic, right? And these men were absolutely sagging under the weight of those expectations. And they're in this relationship with this woman. They adored their wives. They badly wanted her attention and her affirmation, but they were convinced, absolutely convinced that their wives were disappointed in them, that they were not interested in them. And so they felt like they needed to go find someone who was, and it needed to be a woman. It needed to be a sexual partner. And that helped them to feel more manly or more masculine because in their marriages, they had come to this place where they believed, oh, I'm not masculine enough. I'm inferior. I'm not good enough. I'm not manly enough. And, you know, what's fascinating is you have to wonder, is their perception of what's going on What's actually, are they in fact married to someone who isn't interested in talking to them, who isn't interested in all these things? Mm -hmm. Um, Or is that just their, which, you know, our perception is our reality. So whatever you perceive is, is what you act upon. But I couldn't help but, but wonder with every man I talk to, um, if you went to your wife and said, I'm feeling down, I'm feeling like I'm not enough. I'm feeling, you know, all these things. I have to think that she probably would have said, hey, I'm so sorry that you're feeling like that. And what can I do? You know what I mean? But those conversations weren't happening. And those men were convinced that they they couldn't just ask her that she needed to to notice and to ask them. And that was just just very, very sad to hear. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. I, I read it and I, I felt I'm a mom of two sons and I thought I feel really sad for this. And I feel sad for my partner. And he he validated. Mm-hmm. He, we were, he was not a part of your study. He would, the words that came out of your study participants' mouths, when he read this book, he said, I would have said something very similar. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. He, um, he highlighted just about every comment and would say, yep, that's what I thought. Yep. This is what I believed. Oh, yeah. goodness. Yeah. And did, uh, just out of curiosity, and it's okay if you don't want to tell me, did he no. go on Ashley Madison or he met someone organically or? Um, he was on Ashley Madison and he never met anybody on Ashley Madison. Okay. He gotcha. cheated for 15 years with five different women. One, oh, okay. yeah, one longer term partner. And yes, we are still together. And yes, we still do work around this. We still talk around this because sure, sure. there's so much to unpack. And Absolutely. Yeah. And in our experience, like you said, if he would have the men in your study, if they would have gone to their wives, if he would have come to me, of course, I would have said, I had no idea. And that's something, yeah. And that's something that we talk a lot about. My perception of him was that he was this strong, stoic rock, that I was the one 
frazzled with the kids, trying to run my own business. I had left, you know, practicing law to stay at home. And I had the opinion, the view, he was strong. He was fine. He could handle all Mm -hmm. of it. He knew everything. So, yeah. yeah, And that wasn't the case. Right. Totally not the case. And so, yeah, you have to, you have to wonder. And I did wonder as I was talking to these men, is it that you're, so, so the men are saying, She's too busy to notice my sadness, right? Yes. But I kept thinking to myself, are you actually signaling sadness to her? You know, is she sitting there thinking everything is okay? And I'm thinking, yeah, you know, your situation is a great illustration of that. I probably all of the women <laughs> thinking everything was just fine. Yeah. Yeah. Probably many of them were thinking he's doing better handling life than I am. I'm running right. on the hamster wheel. Look at him. He's great. Right. Yeah. And yeah. how sad is that? I know. Yeah, you have two people in the same relationship having totally different experiences and perceptions of what's happening. Yes. And it could all be cleared up with a conversation, but people don't feel like they can broach the conversation. It's, it's yeah, it's very, very intensely sad to me. Yeah, it, it, it really is. It really is. Now, something that you talk about in your book, and I, I'd like you to explain that a little bit more so listeners okay. can understand this concept. Um, men, two, two different things. Men need their egos pumped up regularly. And mm-hmm. primary partnerships sow the seeds of doubt in men. And mm-hmm. that was fascinating to me, too, because, again, there's this narrative in society that once we find the one and that we're together. Right. <laughs> happily ever after and, and everything is wonderful. Talk more about sowing the seeds of doubt and men's egos getting pumped up because I think a lot of women think, well, I chose you and I'm living with you right. and we're like a family together. And I will tell you if something's wrong. Yeah. And otherwise it's right. So talk more about insecurity and men and doubt, because I thought that was fascinating. So, excuse me. So this came up with every man I spoke with. They had this concept of marriage. It wasn't even like they were vilifying their wives. In their minds, this is how marriage works. You get married and um, you can't live up to her expectations. And she's dissatisfied with you. And she's disappointed in you. And she's bored with you, doesn't want to hear your stories, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so in their minds, it's like it's like the institution of marriage itself is this setting where you're beaten down and you can't measure up and you're inferior, which is really kind of fascinating. And then they sought out these outside partnerships where these women were oh, you're the best I've ever had. You're so wonderful. Oh, your wife doesn't know what she's missing out on. And they're spending all this time pumping up the ego. And oh, yes, I I want to hear about the 30 minute story about, you know, the meeting you had, or whatever it is. Right, right. And yeah, and so they were vetting. It was really interesting. They weren't vetting. We have this idea that like, men cheat and they find um, like the hottest woman they can, oh. right? But these men said, no, no, I'm vetting for just to be really enthusiastic about having sex with me. Just to be really enthusiastic about me as a person, just to be really invested in me and my life and what is going on with me. And she has to make me feel like I'm the best and I'm very masculine and et cetera, et cetera. 
And so they're in these marriages with these women that they love, that they don't want to leave. And that something else that was really interesting is one of the questions is like, does having an affair make you feel better? Right. Yeah. And men would say, when I'm with my affair partner, sure. But then they come home. It's like they've just had their ego stroke. They've just had all this stuff. Right. But they come home to the woman that they actually want that from. And they're still left wanting, which was also really, really interesting because women are saying, hey, I'm going out. I'm outsourcing my sex life. I'm getting more orgasms. I come home and I'm good. I'm good. Okay. It's like I went to the gym or it's like I had a little vacation or something like that. Men are saying, hey, I'm getting all this stuff out of these outside partnerships. But then I come home and what I really want is I want all of that from my wife. And I feel like I'm not getting it. And I feel like I can't ask for it. And so, yeah, it was this bizarre situation where men really felt like the state of being in a marriage created all of this self-doubt and all of this insecurity and all these feelings of inferiority. And then they go and they get sort of a bomb for all that right? and these outside partnerships and they come back, but they're still feeling like, you know, I I had a little reprieve, but I, I really want it from this woman, this woman that I chose, this woman that I love. Yeah, it it was it was fascinating. It was sad. And it was confusing, I think, for the men themselves as they were talking about it with me and, and sort of unraveling it all. You could sort of see them thinking like, yeah, what is the answer? Yeah. yeah. And you talk about men outsourcing relational management. And I think that's yes. a part of it, that they don't <clears throat> understand what they need in a relationship. So they're outsourcing, they're finding a woman to validate, to stroke their ego, to do all these things. So they're saying, you do that for me, but then they still want it from their wives. But since they have no relational management skills themselves, they can't bridge that gap. Right. So that was was something interesting that came up too. So I coined the phrase relational management to refer to all of these expectations that men talked about. So in men's minds, their wives' job, if you will, is to pump up their ego to make them feel good, to give them lots of attention, to be enthusiastic about them as lovers, to ask about their day, to ask about their feelings, to prod them, hey, what's wrong, et cetera, et cetera. And to, you know, to man to basically manage their emotional lives, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. They were not in any way providing that same um, skill set for their wives. So that's absolutely something they expected from their wives. And in their minds, their wives were withholding that from them. And they were extremely resentful and bitter about that. And they saw that, uh, they saw her withholding that as, um, you know, her saying, you're not good enough. You're a disappointment. You're not manly enough. So they were, they were reading all kinds of things into the situation and they had all these expectations that they clearly had not communicated. They had not said like, Hey wife, this is what I expect from you. And you're not doing that. That was also not happening. Yeah. And you know, that just came up again and again and again, which was really, really interesting. And it got me thinking about the fact that I don't think we have conversations about these expectations and how gender that expectation is. Because when I talked to women, there was no discussion of that. None of the women said, oh, he doesn't pump up my femininity or, you know, none of those things ever, ever came up. This was solely in the conversations with men. Yeah. And what I was curious about with that, um, again, because I related so well, Mm -hmm. because it was pretty much our situation. What I thought was fascinating about that was, no, my partner never said, 
I miss you asking. I know you're busy with the kids, but I still want you to like, none of the conversation was there. And when I go back in my head, I think what kind of relational management skills, if any, could I have used to prevent him from feeling this way? Mm. And I feel like there aren't any. Right. Well, you know, one of my participants said something that just, it'll strike me now and then. Um, He said, men are a bottomless pit of need. He said, whatever whatever much praise you think that we need, we need so much more than that. And, And he basically said, you know, I can go out to my outside partner. I can get my cup filled, you know, however you want to say that with all the validation. And then he comes home and guess what? He still needs more of it. And men really echoed that. All the men I talked to said, you know, I need so much more ego stroking and ego boosting and attention, just absolute attention than you could possibly ever imagine, which was another sad facet of these interviews is I found myself thinking, my goodness, could any one woman ever provide enough ego boost and ego stroking and and attention for any man based on what these men are saying. Um, You know, I don't know. It it was, it was, um, it was eye opening for sure because they were very aware of it and they were a little ashamed of it, but very aware of it. That shame piece. I want to go there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Because yes, I, I wrote that down. Men are bottomless pits of me. And th- I, I think that's true. And that's sad. And the shame around needing that, I think, I mean, to me, that's like poignant and profound because yes. if it's something that you need and you're not getting that need fit filled, I mean, that's horrible. And then to have shame around that, that's going to closet more behavior. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No. And that was another thing that was fascinating because when I said, I wasn't really sure if men would be comfortable, you know, talking to me and then for them to be so vulnerable and to be so honest and so self-aware about what was going on with them. Um, it was, I was very honored to have that sort of trust. Um, and yeah, they were very cognizant of the fact that, Hey, I, I had, and they, and they really saw themselves as different than other men too, which was really fascinating. Hmm. They would say things like I'm different from other men. And then they would talk about how they needed this emotional connection and they needed all of this attention. They needed all this validation. And so it's like, they knew what they needed. They were ashamed of needing it. And they thought that somehow that made them odd or, um, you know, that was like a piece of not being manly enough that they needed this. And so if you think about it, we spend all this time telling men don't have any emotions, be stoic. We don't give them any emotional tools at all. Right. We give them no training whatsoever. And then they have all this need and they feel bad about it. And they think that they're the only man. They think other men don't need this. It's just really this, this sort of cycle of how could you ever get to a place where you felt okay with yourself. If this is the framing that's, that's constantly being. Yeah. Forth. And these are the expectations. I don't know. It was very, very sad. Yeah, it is. Because that's what I was thinking too. Like, unless we radically change our culture 
from infancy on, I don't know how we can just flip the switch and change things. Now, you know, my, my sons right now are in their early twenties and I joke with them because I'm like, when are you going to get out of your Clint Eastwood phase? Because they're in that kind of macho phase. (laughs) I, I, I mean, we joke about it and like that, I try to give them emotional tools, but they very much reject that. They very much want to model traditional masculinity. Sure. And even well, going- those messages are, sorry, those messages no. are just so pervasive. You know, you're one yeah. voice, but they're being inundated with these other voices. So, yeah. I mean, how can you blame them? Oh, exactly. And that just makes me sad for our culture and for relationships too, because yes, the bomb exploded with me and my husband. And I feel very happy and fortunate that we stayed together that we're unpacking it, that we're telling stories to each other, that we're building on this. And yet still, I feel the pressure of society. He feels the pressure of society. It's, it's a lot to say, okay, I read this book and I understand it. And I'm going to talk to my partner, my husband, my sons, my spouse, whatever. Mm -hmm. And we're all going to talk about this, but you're right. How can we equip people going forward with better tools, with better understanding? I mean, do you see a road forward from this? Oh, that's a great question. I think you hit on it earlier when you said it it would take a society level change. Because even if you in your house are trying to not do the socialization that is typical for men, they're still getting that at school, at work, with their friends, with other people's Media. parents, et cetera, et cetera. And- they turn yeah media it's everywhere and so you become just one site that is countering those messages so it would have to be a situation where we all agree together hey this isn't good for anybody this isn't good for the men this isn't good for the people they partnered with it isn't good for the family this isn't good for anybody and we have to make a change and it's very difficult to get folks on board with that so many people are so invested in these current ideas about gender and the current expectations. How many women do you know or you've overheard in some public space who say something like, um, oh, he cried and that just totally turned me off, you know, mm-hmm. or um, my goodness, they're, uh, reality shows, they'll have somebody who's like, oh, I, they they matched me up with this person and he's too sensitive, you know. These messages are just all around us. And there's just so many people who are just really, really invested in this idea that uh, being a woman is being 180 degrees from being a man. And so therefore the man has to be these certain things. And it always involves not having any emotional outlets, not having emotional tools, not having any real emotions. Yeah. And so until we all become invested, it's going to be extremely difficult to turn the boat around. Yeah. Yeah. And here's the other thing around that too, talking about turning the boat around. So there's this man, he's having an affair because he needs way more validation. He needs his ego stroked. He wants her to be jumping up and down. And like you said, in one chapter, jumping on top of me, cause he's so good in bed. So he finds <laughs> the <laughs> affair partner or affair partners who are kind of doing that projecting yeah. forward. Were they to get married? Is that just the kind of woman who will always be doing that for him. And that's his ideal mate because 
I feel like that's more dating behavior, not real life behavior. So yeah. Yeah. So what's really interesting is how different the women's narratives were than the men's narratives. Um, My cousin actually reads my drafts for me before they go to the publisher and something he said about the men's stories. He said, I, you know, cousin, I'm really confused because you, I remember the women said, I'm not looking to fall in love. I don't want an emotional connection. And then men are talking about this emotional connection. He's like, make it make sense. Um, So yeah, you have these women who they're performing the relational management with the man, right? Because mm-hmm. they're only interacting with him, you know, short bursts on texts, short conversations over the telephone. Uh, they're getting together, what, maybe a few hours or something at a time. I mean, who can't hold it together that long, right? So she's doing that while they're interacting with each other. And then the rest of the time, she's not thinking about him at all. And she's telling me, I mean, all these women said, I don't leave my husband for the man I'm cheating with. And they would say the man I'm cheating with could not hold a candle to the man I have at home. And if I had the sex that I wanted and needed at home, I would not be out here fooling with these people. So you have these men who are, you know, lulled, I guess, by this attention that they're getting in this really bounded relationship. And yeah, they may think in their minds, oh, she feels about me the way I want someone to feel about me. And if I were with her, it would be like that all the time. But that's really not. It would it would evolve into exactly what they have at home right now, which the women were very clear about. They said, hey, you know, I have a good thing with my husband. I have this one piece that doesn't work. If I were to leave this, I probably can't replace that with somebody else. Or I'd be in the same situation that I'm in. Um, men didn't want to leave their wives because they were so enamored with them. But they may have harbored fantasies. That if they were with the affair partner, that's what it would be like. But you're absolutely right. That's dating behavior. That's wooing behavior, yeah. right? When you're sharing a sink with somebody, that's not how it's going to be all the time. Yeah, you'll have moments like that, of course, but you have real life and the kids and the house and, and right. all those things. And it would be the exact same situation repeatedly. Yeah. It's interesting because what I hear you saying and what I noticed in the book, there are some aspects of behavior where men are very Mm self-aware. This is what I need. And there are certainly places where they're completely almost delusional. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. And I, yes. Yeah. I found that interesting. And I found myself reading this. I do recommend everybody who is involved um, in an affair or not involved in an affair, read it because it's, it's great insight into humans. And if you are a mom, I think you should read this. If you've got siblings, <laughs> brothers, if you ever intend on interacting with somebody of the opposite sex, I think it's just good to know. But I found myself vacillating between feelings of, and I'm just going to say it kind of disgust. Like, are you mm-hmm. freaking kidding me? Grow up mm-hmm. already. And then mm-hmm. serious sadness and like pain that, that our men yeah. feel this way and think this way and don't know how to validate themselves or see what is reality. And, mm-hmm. and I just had such a wide range of emotions around that. Yes. Yes. You and, and mostly anybody who's talked to me about this book. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The men were very complex. Yeah. The women, I think um, 
were were very likable, very easy to like. They were very funny. They were gregarious. You could kind of imagine them as your friend or somebody at a party or something. And the men were just very complex. And it's like you said, you'd have one minute where you think, oh my goodness, that's the saddest thing I've ever heard. My heart just goes out to you. And then the next minute you would think, buddy, what are you thinking? Uh-huh. I mean, you yeah. what, like, do you hear yourself? I think especially the thing about, um, and all of them said this, you know, they had these affair partners who the magic phrase is, you are the best I ever had, right? That's the magic phrase that they're having sex with these affair partners. And um, repeatedly men would say every, every affair partner I've had has said, I'm the best they've ever had. And I'm thinking to myself, have you not had a moment that maybe that's just what they say? Right. You know what I mean? That that's just, that's their line, if you will. That they know that this is something you want to hear. And so this is what they say to you. I mean, you know, and no um, disrespect to anybody's skill set. You know, I'm not suggesting. I'm just saying, you know, if, if, if every affair partner you've ever had is saying the same thing to you, how does it not occur to you at some point? This may just be something people say in this particular scenario, that this is um, the polite uh, (laughs) etiquette, if you will, right? If you're having an affair, then um, this is what I've ever had. Um, But that's what I found so fascinating is that they really took that feedback from those affair partners to heart. I mean, to them, this is like, she said this, ergo, it must be true. This is set in stone. Yeah. And that was just really, really interesting to me because I thought to myself, well, some of them actually said, um, told me stories about how they would flatter the women that they were involved with in affairs and say things that they didn't necessarily fully believe to be factual, but it never crossed their mind that she might be doing the same thing to you. So to me, that spoke to how badly they needed to hear what was being said. And so they needed that to be true. They needed to believe that. And so they did. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So a lot of the women listening to the show, um, I'd say most of the women, all of the women have been cheated on <laughs> by their intimate partner. Some people are working it out. Some people are not, but sure. what is one thing that you would want to explain to them? Because I think the confusion is so pervasive. Why would he do this to me? How could yeah. he, is there something that you can just say to them that would kind of summarize and help them understand it is so not you? Oh, goodness. I guess I would say my blanket statement would be it really does. It, it feels incredibly personal. This is a person who stood up in front of witnesses and promised to love you till the end of time and cherish you and respect you. And so it absolutely feels personal. It absolutely feels like it's about you. It feels directed at you. Yes. In reality, it doesn't have anything to do with you. It actually has everything to do with what is going on with the person who's cheating. It's some need that they're trying to meet that either they can't verbalize, don't know how to verbalize. Um, it's 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 really sad because stepping back objectively, it's like, oh my goodness, you could just have a conversation about this. But, you know, relationships are so complex and people don't want to hurt each other's feelings. And sometimes folks have a hard time verbalizing what they think and how they feel. And I know somebody's thinking, but they told you. Yeah, because I'm, who am I? I'm no one. 
Right. You know, I have absolutely zero investment in this person's life. Nothing they say to me is going to hurt my feelings. So it's super easy to say stuff to me. It's not really easy to say something. And these men adore their wives, which I know also sounds really counter. I have people all the time say to me, I don't understand how you can say these people adored their spouses. Well, they did. Mm -hmm. And it's it, relationships are that complicated that someone can absolutely adore you, think the world of you and cheat on you because it isn't about you because it's really about them. And that's a difficult, that is a difficult truth to internalize. And I think even if we can accept it on some intellectual level, there's probably still going to be moments that a person is still right back to what did I do wrong? What was not enough about me? Right? Yeah. So it's just something you have to keep telling yourself this really actually had nothing to do with you, even though it absolutely feels like it had everything to do with you. Yeah. But it does. I don't make know how helpful that is. No, I do think it's helpful. I do think it's helpful because I know in my situation too, my husband would say, I have you on a pedestal and I will never do anything to get you to reject me because I am terrified you will leave yeah. me. I am terrified you will reject me. So yeah. no. And the I, men in this book said that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it makes sense. They'll tell you because if you reject them, who cares? Right. <laughs> exactly. Who am I? I'm nobody. It doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah, no, they would have been devastated if their wives had found this out. And I know there are so many people who contact me and say, your work makes no sense. You say these people love their spouses. You say that they would do anything to keep them. And they, they don't want to lose them. And yet they're out cheating. And, and I know sometimes human behavior does not make sense. But yeah. all those things are true at the same time. Yeah. All those things are true at the same time, which to me says that person's need for whatever it is that they're trying to outsource is so great that mm -hmm. they feel like they don't have any other choice but to pursue it even though it's at odds with what they want most in the world and if you think about it from that standpoint that makes the whole thing even sadder and then if their partner does find out it is going to cause such incredible emotional turmoil and pain for that person and then the person who has sought out a partner because of some lack or some feelings of inferiority or whatever has now made the person that they care about the most in the world feel that way. It's just, it, it, it's a really difficult and crummy situation for lack of a better word. I mean, it really is. Yeah, it is. But I, that's what I appreciated so much about your book is it, it pulled no punches. It had no judgment. It was just, this is what the men are saying. And this is what the experience is. And there's no blame or shame or judgment around it. It was just presenting the study and it lets the reader draw their own conclusion in a lot of ways as well, too, uh, whether you, it's personal to you or not. But yeah, I, you had said that cheating is a stopgap to keep the relationship. Yes. Yeah. yeah and everybody I, I talked to wanted to stay in that primary relationship and they had went through, you know, this is not a snap decision. This is not an overnight decision. It was not a hasty decision. It was something they had really wrestled with and grappled with. And they had come to this conclusion, faulty or not, that in order to stay in that primary relationship, they were going to have to seek some outsourcing of whatever that need was. So for the women, sexual, for the men, this emotional validation, this relational management. And 
they really believed that in order to stay in that marriage, they had to have this outsourcing going on, that there was just no other way. Now, as a reader, you may say, poo-poo, and that's fine. But this is what these folks believed. I can't tell you. I mean, everybody I talked to said, if I don't do this, I will have to break up my home. I will have to leave this person that I love. And I do not want to do that. And so again, people have a lot of skepticism. There's a lot of scoffing about this work, but I would go back to what I said before. This just speaks to the depth of someone's need. Yes. Yes. And you said this earlier too. The perception is more powerful than the actual reality. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, if you believe something to be true, then it's true for you. Yeah. Yeah. So what about resulting guilt? Because I understand that it's the perception. I understand that it's the need. I understand that they feel compelled and in Mm -hmm. pain and they have to do this. And I also understand that they are ethical, moral men or women who do this. But what about Mm -hmm. that resulting guilt? I mean, it's just all cognitive dissonance in a way, but. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes, the women talked much more about the guilt than men did. And the women um, sort of found ways to kind of work around it, if that makes sense. So, So I remember one woman in particular saying, you know, when there's these petty little disagreements or irritations or something like that, when maybe I would have complained or said something, I just remind myself that, hey, I'm a cheater. And then I just don't say anything. And so they sort of managed it that way. The men were sort of a mixed bag. So some of them said, oh, I just, I feel terribly guilty, right? And then others sort of framed it as, um, well, you know, if my wife wasn't withholding this relational management, then I wouldn't be doing this. And so for them, which kind of makes sense too, if you think about the fact that men don't have these same tools, we don't teach men these emotional tools, right? That women would be more in touch with their guilt and finding sort of ways to kind of mitigate that or work around it or compensate for it or something. And that men were just very quick to say, um, well, no, I don't feel guilty because this is basically her own fault. Yeah, You know, and that was sort of the way that they framed it for themselves to, to live with themselves, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad you said that because that's what I hear. Cause I work with women, uh, you know, who have, mm-hmm. these partners have committed infidelity and that's what they all say. The man will say it's, I did it because of you, because you're a bitch because you didn't, blah, 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 blah. and it's this blame and it's just an excuse to mitigate yeah. their own guilt. And that's, again, that's hard to, I think sometimes internalize. No, I'm not. <laughs> no, I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> So, right. But again, we're right. We're right back to that. My perception is reality. So if I'm living in this perception where I think that part of the marriage contract is that if you love me, you, you will provide that. this relational management and you will be enthusiastic and you will. Um, the big the big complaint men talked about is women wanted to rush through sex. They don't want to have these long, lengthy um, sessions. Right. Probably because they have children and they have chores and jobs and et cetera, et cetera. Right. And that their fair partners are willing to do that, which again, if we think about the logistics, I've rented a hotel room and I don't see you all that often, right? So it's a completely different situation. Um, But to men, that was part of what they expected from their wives. They expected them 
to, oh, I want you to want to jump into bed with me and spend hours and et cetera, et cetera. So in their minds, their wives withholding that, and that's how they saw it. Yes. Not that she was too busy, not that she was purposefully, knowingly withholding that to send a message, to communicate something to them. That was really their belief about what was going on. And so in their minds, you have done me this grievous wrong. You have betrayed me. You have stabbed me in the heart with this behavior. And so I really just don't have any other recourse than to do this. And so probably believe that. Well, I'm not, it's not their problem. They do (laughs) believe what they're saying to you. But, you know, they can believe something, perceive something, and that not actually be what's happening. Yeah. You'll totally get a kick out of this. My husband's phrase about <laughs> our marriage was you're the only one that ever hurts me. Ooh. And I, yeah. And it, I would kind of be like, <laughs> what do you mean? You know, like I, not to say that I'm perfect, I'm not perfect, but I'm like, sure. I walked away from my legal career to raise the family to support you in your legal career. I'm like doing everything for everyone. I'm, like trying to keep myself in shape. I'm like, and I'm the only one that ever hurts you. I'm over here killing myself. You're on business trips, having dinners out, all this stuff. I'm killing myself. And I'm the only one that ever hurts you. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And he said, that's how they see it. They do. And like, yeah. And he would say it to me, but there was no dialogue around it because he didn't know how to take it further. And I didn't know what the heck he meant by that. Right. Right. You're, you're stunned by the statement. You, you, you can't, there's no context for you. You don't know where to put that. It doesn't make any sense. He's not elaborating. Right. But in yeah. his mind, he really believes that because again, if you, if you step back and think about the fact that men really think that if you're not doing these things that they expect, that is you communicating, hey, buddy, I don't love you. You're not enough. I don't think you're good enough. I'm disappointed in you as a person, as a lover, as a friend. Um, Then that makes sense, right? But it only makes sense in that framework, which I think, I mean, I certainly did not know any of that until I talked to these men. I had no, it really made me look back at past relationships and think, huh, uh-huh. You know, and I had no idea and how useful this information was. <laughs> yes. But yeah, under that framework, him saying that absolutely makes sense. But without it, it doesn't make any sense. And you probably just wrote it off as like something he said. He was tired. He was overworked. He was overwrought. Right. right. Because what else could you do with that? You don't have anywhere that makes sense for you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It made no sense at all. So. Where I kind of want to wrap this up with is listeners. I want to ask you first, I challenge you to go back in your own relationship and not that you're Monday morning quarterbacking everything, but to just look at this frame of reference, look at this perception and see if it makes sense. That's just my challenge to you to see, to believe if your husband, spouse, partner, whoever thought this would it make sense? Would it make sense? And the reason I'm asking you to do that is just to get out of your own frame of reference. 
and just for a moment to suspend belief and say, if this were to be true, does this make sense? Because for me, I could absolutely see how it made sense. And it just made me feel better about my role in it, my perception, my culpability. It helped me to heal. And ultimately, that's why you're here. That's why you're listening to the show, to understand what the heck was going on, to put the pieces together so you can heal and move forward. And it's not that every man will cheat and every woman will cheat and we're all hopeless. Yeah, we have to shift as a culture. And yes, there are people who have already shifted, but shifts happen because of understanding. And when we have that understanding, then we know better and we do better. So that is my ask for you. Even if your relationship is dead and gone, going forward, carry this understanding in your heart so you too can do better. And thank you so much for being here, Alicia. I don't know if you have any closing words or thoughts. I mean, to me, it is just so fascinating and I could just talk about it all day long because human behavior, A, is incredibly fascinating. Sexuality and the stigma around that is incredibly fascinating. Gender dynamics, I love. So if there's anything you want to say going forward, wrapping it up, have at it. Well, I do appreciate so much you having me and having the opportunity to talk about this. Um, I would definitely echo everything you said, and I would just add that... um, as a society, we want to make cheating very simple. We want to just say people who cheat are terrible people. They're awful. They're um, trying to look for an out on their marriage. They're mate shopping, etc. But when you actually talk to folks who have cheated, the reality is much more complicated than that. Um, the dynamics are very complicated. They, they make sense and then they don't make sense within the same breath for folks. They're just as complicated as relationships are. And we need to give each other and all of us more grace, I think, about things. And we all need to try to work together to make a society where um, gender is maybe not such a pressing <laughs> expectation of all of us, I think, which would definitely help uh, a lot of these scenarios. Um, and I think most of all, don't blame yourself. Because it, it isn't, it isn't really anything that you've done. Um, and if that has happened to you, it is a terrible and devastating thing to happen. And the last thing you need to do on top of it is to blame yourself. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for that. And where can listeners um, learn more about you and your work or get a hold of your books? And if you would also tell the name of both books, that would be lovely. Um. Yes. <laughs> You can uh, find out more about me and my work um, on alicia-walker.com. You can find uh, both of my books on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and directly from the publisher. Um, The first book is called The Secret Life of the Cheating Wife, Power, Pragmatism, and Pleasure in Women's Infidelity. And the second book is called Chasing Masculinity, uh, Validation, Men, and Infidelity. And um, I I will have a new book coming soon, so look out for that. And uh, I appreciate your interest. Perfect. And what is your new book? 
Um, it's uh, tentatively titled Slut Named. It's going to be about the uh, power and politics of uh, the slur, slut. Oh, I love that. Right in line with my TEDx. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait for it. Well, thank you so much for your work, for your curiosity in this subject, to take that piece of blame and judgment out of it and to just get curious and to hold space and to find out what's really going on. Because I know for so many women and men, this work will be invaluable. So listeners, please check out Alicia Walker have an amazing week and always remember to flaunt exactly who you are because who you are is always more than enough. Are you looking for a great way to make new connections and spread your wings? Revel is a new kind of social platform exclusively for women over 40 where you can do just that. With virtual and in real life events, authentic conversations, and no ads, Revel is the community site exclusively designed for like-minded, fabulous, fun women in midlife. Learn more and join for free at hellorevel slash flaunt. That's hello, R-E-V is in Victor, E-L dot com slash flaunt. Come join us. It's nourishing and super fun. Tune in next time to Flaunt. Find your sparkle and create a life you love after infidelity or betrayal with radio host and live choreographer Laura Cheadle every Wednesday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on syndicated Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Develop naked self-worth and reclaim your confidence, enthusiasm, and joy so you can create a life you love and embrace who you are today. Download your free Sparkle Through Betrayal Recovery Guide at NakedSelfWorth.com.